0: Hey everybody, welcome to Hit Rewind. This episode will be discussing the weird phenomenon of not just the Wayans family, but Damon Wayans himself. The, probably the biggest of the whole family. And it's so weird uh, that it was like a dynasty for a while. Like, but I bet you kids now have no idea who any of the Wayans are. Uh, I
1: don't know. I mean, uh, Marlon's been getting a lot of uh, foot traffic recently
0: because he's kind of come to accept the... Uh they're trans son, and that, that was kind of cool. Yeah. I think, yeah, Marlon and maybe Damon's son because he was on, um, what is it? The New Girl, I think, was on for a while in Let's Be Cops. Oh, yeah. Oh, by the way, I should introduce ourselves. I'm Michael. That's Tony. Hello. The, uh, so yeah, it's really interesting because before in Living Color, we had I'm going to get you sucka, which did. Fairly well, especially for a very low-budget movie with no names in it. And then they got in living color, and it seems like almost instantaneously everybody became a household name—not necessarily a star, but everybody knew who they were. Yeah, they were appearing in a lot of things. I mean, there was the uh, the Wayne Brothers Show. There was uh, Shaft. There was. A blank Man there was I mean there was a bunch of stuff that all the way were just turning out yeah well and also you have Jim Carrey you had uh, David Allen Greer um, i trying to remember I know one of the girls from *Living Living Single was on there for a year or two but it seemed like that was the one that was taking the heat away from Saturday it Live but you know within a couple of years everything changed with them becoming movie stars household names all of a sudden the huge offers started to come in And everybody started leaving the show. And so while it seemed like it was such a huge deal, it only lasted five seasons. And I really think the only reason it held on for that last season is uh, Jim Carrey was paid a massive amount to stick around for another year, and they paid Chris Rock to show up like for six or seven episodes.
1: That's a good point, yeah. I mean, I remember it was such a huge phenomenon with me growing up, but uh, it really was only a short-lived thing, which is obviously... You know, between you and me, like a huge thing in our entire
0: generation is like, oh, this is great! Like three seasons. What do you mean three seasons? I've been watching it all the time. Yeah. Well, and I read the book. It's called uh, "Homie Don't Play That." It's about the history of In Living Color. And by season two, there's all these offers coming in for Keenan to do movies, like write and direct. So by the time season three kicks in, he's no longer interested. He's barely involved in any of the show. He's just like a masthead. Uh, Damon is gone because Last Boy Scout and Mo Money really made him an A-lister, and you know it's just it seemed like the crew was kind of fragmented by that point, and so they just struggled through. I know they added Marlon and um, Sean in season three because remember Sean was the DJ for the first two seasons.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's sort of like
0: floating in the back. Yeah, and uh, uh, I'm trying to remember. Like I feel like yeah, everybody else kind of hung around till it ended, but. What really broke big was the fact that Damon Wayans, out of like basically no real movie history, I mean, he had small parts here and there, and he was on one season of SNL, but he's given the co-lead in this massive Bruce Willis action comedy called The Last Boy Scout, and I can see what they were thinking. It worked 10 years earlier with Eddie Murphy. You know, his very first movie was a massive hit, 48 Hours. Yeah. But I think what is missing is A... There's the stench of Hudson Hawk right now, and you know Bruce Willis really like. He had a stench on him because of that, and I don't think people were really ready to see him in another movie so Especially if it was an action comedy, and I think you know, and I yeah. I I am so mad about that because you know like I hate to,
1: I hate that it got so much hate for such a fun movie because like, yeah. I really liked Hudson Hawk. I enjoyed the heck
0: out of it. When you know the history of the movie, though, that it's supposed to be a thirty million dollar movie, and that the script was completely set, and they just kept changing it and changing it and changing, it, and Bruce was becoming a pain in the ass, and you know True. they're adding writers, they're flying people to Italy or whatever at the last moment, try to come up with something, and it's just exhausting for everybody involved. So then it became a fifty million dollar movie that only made seventeen. So I think it's more than just the movie stinking. I think everybody had heard about his ego. That's a good point. I mean, his ego. Was pretty well hidden for a while, but Hudson Hawk was like the first leak towards like, hey, he's kind of a Madonna. And, yeah. You know, once and, uh, once it came out, it really came out. Yeah, and Bruce and Damon did not get along on the set at all. They basically hated each other through this because um Bruce just kept talking down to Damon, like he wasn't worthy of being on the screen with him, which is insulting as hell. Um Yeah. And, you know, and it just really rubbed Damon Raw. And so he started fighting back against Bruce, you know, throughout the production and just dragging it out. Uh, another one of those where I believe it was supposed to be like a $35, $40 million and it just kept adding more to it because of just difficulties with the production. Um, when I was a teenager, uh, for my birthday, I asked my dad to take me to this. <laughs> and I loved it. But as I get older... I find this movie to actually be like, oh, we're watching the worst people on the planet. These are the most <laughs> miserable fucks in history, and I'm supposed to spend an hour and a half with them. No? Nothing? Yeah. Do you disagree? <laughs>
1: uh, honestly, like you're, you're not wrong. Like, And I, I find that with a lot of things where I'm like, oh, I love this as a kid, and then you find out that they're just garbage people. And I'm like, I can't watch this anymore
0: because it just, it hurts me personally to see these people making money on my money. Yeah. Well, it's, it's not just, no, I meant the characters themselves. Um, true, true. Yeah, yeah. I just like. characters like this very unlikable. Yeah. I was like, wow, Everybody is yelling at each other and they all hate each other's guts. It's funny. The only likable person in this whole movie is the guy who fucked Bruce Willis' wife. I was going to say, like, like, him and the stripper girlfriend who died, like, those were the only people actually kind of like cared anything about right and they killed them immediately <laughs> <laughs> um, this is written by Shane Black and of course Shane Black is well known now at the time he wasn't really a household name but I think Iron Man 3 kind of changed everything sadly he's never been able to capture that same magic financially but I gotta tell you his uh, detective movie um, uh, the, the Nice Guys is so damn good oh you know like, I really need to to watch that like I've heard nothing but good things and I just I never got around to it because it just never seemed to click yeah. for me well it's in our shared account so you can watch it anytime you want <laughs> Um. so I noticed this about Shane Black is he really does like detective movies it, after this he does um, Ricochet uh, he does cleanup work on that, and that was a really dark movie, too. But then he does Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang, The Nice Guys. Uh, even uh, uh, The Long Kiss Goodnight has a strong detective element in Samuel L. Jackson's character.
1: That's true, yeah. I guess it, it does
0: lean towards those detective styles. Maybe it's because it has a pulpy nature to it, and it's kind of uh, lurid, and you can have really creative dialogue, which he's very good at... Um, dialogue that sometimes, with time, doesn't hold up too well <laughs> to how, how culture has changed. But you're like, oh shit, he did just write like in Predator, he writes all those fucking huge pussy jokes. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> um, I will say this: when they, when when it comes to movies where you have to have a villain to make the hero seem even greater, you know, you have to have a really good villain. And I got to tell you, these are the shittiest of shit villains. These guys are the kings of, like, you got the redneck guy, Shelley Marconi. And, oh, my God, you just want to smash his face in. Um, there's, uh, oh, damn it, he, Taylor Negron, mostly known for comedy. And he plays just such a greasy, like, Euro trash bad guy in this. My favorite line in this, he goes, the cop comes up to his car and goes, is there a problem, officer? Yeah, there's too many bullets in this gun. <laughs> It's so campy. I love it. Um, And then there's that one dude. Okay, so I remember him mostly from Waterworld. His name is Kim Coates. He always plays a shithead. But he's in the one where he's beating the shit out of Bruce Willis. And Bruce Willis tells him that if you hit me one more time, I'm going to kill you. (laughs) And he's just got this, like, shit-eating grin on his face. He punches him again. He goes, boom, baby. And then, yep, shoves his nose right into his brain, which I didn't know was a thing. (laughs) Yeah, I, I don't know
1: how accurate that is anymore. Like, I know for a while in the 90s, like, that was like, oh, yeah, you killed somebody by, you know, breaking the cartilage in their nose and shoving it to their brain. I'm like, is that true? Or is that just a legend that people kind of just shifted onto and worked through? Because if that was as accurate, I would imagine you'd see it in a lot more movies up to current, and it's just, it disappeared as an action trope.
0: Yeah. I'm wondering. If they saw Roadhouse, because it's the same producer, uh, Joel Silver, um, and he said, okay, we got a top Roadhouse, so he rips his throat out. Again, I don't know if that's even possible. <laughs> like, that it just seemed like a one-up, like, okay, we got to do something even crazier. Yeah, I think the the weirdest thing about this film is, like you
1: said, like they just had like really obnoxiously bad, bad guys with no real you know, like rationale behind it other than just, we need somebody that makes the
0: good guys not be bad guys. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember Uh, the beginning of it. You get introduced to Billy blanks guys. He was sort of a legitimate actor before he started doing all the low budget martial arts movies, which are still fun, but they're not studio level stuff, but I can't remember. Why does Billy Cole kill himself? I cannot recall the drug addiction. Makes him crazy. Maybe. Um, it was um,
1: he was stuck with a gambling problem like he had to like uh, I, I think it was a mixture of drugs and gambling and it was because he needed
0: to like win that game with a ridiculous oh you're right he, yes and so like he pulled out his
1: gun and literally just started shooting everybody in front of him and then it was up at the end because he was just
0: he was gone right um, and I always remember the beginning of that. Uh, Friday nights a great night for football. <laughs> <laughs> this, this, this is that's why I miss kind of the Joel Silver era of movies. Yes, sometimes they were offensive, but they were also like balls to the wall, crazy, like whatever he thought was a a, a fresh idea that was you know like kind of outrageous. Yeah, he's gonna go for it.
1: Yeah and like I think that there was just kind of just this formulaic way of putting together like these gritty you know just detective crime films that you know not only was the Weapon* following this trope so was you know the last boy scout and I think there was like a couple other films where it was just like just
0: bonkers bad guys like you know anti hero heroes yeah, and there's always the buddy cops. One is this and one is that or whatever. Like to polar opposites so they wouldn't get along. But in the end, they team up together. <laughs> it's crazy that uh, Shane Black set a record for this. Uh, $1.75 million for this script. And then broke that record again for, uh, I think it was one point nine. he got for The Long Kiss Goodnight. I don't know if any writer has ever been paid more. Maybe the guy who did Showgirls. I think he got paid three or something for Showgirls. <laughs> girls is a whole other crime that we can talk about. Yeah, I, I have never... So, we, we discussed Strip Tease on the show, which I still think is a legitimate movie, even though Demi Moore is terrible in it. Um, mm-hmm. Take all that out, it's still a good movie. Um, I think it's yeah. funny that the, the, the best part of the movie has nothing to do with the actual nudity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. The... Uh, It does seem like that was a big thing, too, in the 90s. It's not only like, how can we outdo each other with outrageous stuff? It was also outdo each other with paychecks so that it makes the news. You know, like, this is when they started paying actors, like, $20 million, and it was $25 million, you know, everybody trying to top each other and these huge director deals. I don't really think it's like that now. It seems like, yes, there are known directors, like, legendary directors, like, um, you know, Spielberg and stuff like that, but this now it's like, what IP do we own? What franchise do we own? We're not interested in anything fresh and new. Yeah.
1: Which is unfortunate because it really stagnates the market to where, you know, it's really hard for something new to come out because everyone's always trying to put a, a sequel or a universal, you know, connected film, which, you know, has its plus and minuses, but, like, it doesn't always have to be, like, a direct attachment to
0: something. Yeah, the the requirement to see all these movies for it to make sense. It's like, ugh. Because I was going through my head about the MCU, and I was like, I think there's like 24 fucking movies. I don't think I want to watch 24, though. So you have to start editing in your head, like, well, do I need this? Do I need that? Do I need this? And I understand now why they have those YouTube catch-up videos. Like, okay, so you need to know this from this, and it only takes you like 20 minutes instead of 20 hours. Yeah, I think that you know films just need to
1: focus out of being direct sequels and relevant to each other and just say hey you can just occur in the same universe like you know not every comic book is attached to every comic book they just they occur in the same world and so you can you can do touchstones like a, you know like ongoing theories where what's his name uh, the the police officer from Uh, Die
0: Hard is the same police officer for Family Matters, you know, like... Yeah, or Turner and Hooch, yeah, because he's a cop in that, too. (laughs) Yeah, you know, like,
1: those theories are fun because it's like, you know, they could exist
0: in the same universe and it wouldn't really break anything. Yeah. And they could, you know, alternate stories. Like, you you don't have
1: to make everything a direct sequel, but, you know, that's just... That's unfortunate, and that's just where
0: the film industry is right now. Yeah, well, I was thinking, like, uh, Jackie Brown. Michael Keaton plays, like, a supporting role in that, and then he just makes a cameo at the end of Out of Sight. You don't need to see either one to understand it, but he's playing the same character. Mm-hmm. It's- and and, you know, what's funny is I was thinking about this. So, you, when last Action Hero came out, an Italian company found an old movie that had nothing to do with it. wasn't even similar in plot in any way whatsoever. But they slapped on the first Action Hero. <laughs> and, like, it was just one of those straight-to-video pieces of shit. But I think it would have been funny if it was like, a, hey, the first Boy Scout. You know, something like that. <laughs> Starring, like, Sam Willis. <laughs> you know, or something like his cousin. <laughs> um, oh, my goodness. But you could make like a 70s prequel where he's a young cop or whatever before any of this if you wanted to do a directed video it's a prequel mm-hmm. where he
1: saves the president you know
0: yeah yeah oh yes that is a good yeah we can do that story um you know i was thinking like so after is there anything else you want to say about this movie before we go no i think i wrapped up everything i can okay the um so his journey, like, Mo Money was a big hit, so everybody said, oh, now he's going to be the next, you know, like, Eddie Murphy A-lister uh, actor. And people, uh, I don't know if you've noticed or not, and for all of you assholes yelling about woke, um, there's hardly been any main A-list actors that haven't been white men, so shut the fuck up. <laughs> um, but it's it was, like, great because it's so rare that um, an African-American actor or an actress can break over to... Uh, white audiences, and Damon was able to achieve that, but I think he really ruined it with Blank Man. I know some people like it. I know someone who said it's their favorite movie. Oh my god, I really think that just destroyed everything. I think I think Blank
1: Man is fun for what it is, but there's no way that that can be considered a good movie. I think, I think if Blank Man was paired with something else that was more serious, then it wouldn't have dumped the career that it did for him because i i I think that you know just
0: like a meteor man like it's just a fun little tongue-in-cheek thing yeah but if you took it too seriously you brought it too heavily as like oh it's gonna be the new big thing i'm like no don't make it the new big thing it wasn't that good of a film the uh so then he did major pain that did okay but his final run and he talks about this in his 98 comedy special Um, where he himself was worried because of like Blank Man and and Major Payne not making a lot of money that he just said yes to whatever offered a lot of money and so he did um, The Great White Hype uh, Celtic Pride and then it finished with our last film uh, Bulletproof Um, by the way I love Great White Hype but he's not he's kind of in it but he's more of a support it's more of a Samuel Jackson movie yes
1: most definitely I think that Great
0: White Hype had some really solid backing to it. Celtic Pride was bonkers. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. I can't bonkers. believe it was written by Judd Apatow. It just doesn't seem like his kind of movie. It seems like he was paid to write like somebody else.
1: hmm
0: But Bulletproof is one of those where, on paper, I can see where they thought this was going to be a decent size hit. It's the buddy cop formula. This time it's flipped, though, because... Um, now Damon Wayans is the the authority figure and then he's got a sidekick uh that's kind of like on the edge of legality, <laughs> like the way it was at 48 hours and stuff. <laughs> and you know, you have Ernest Dickerson who was a pretty good like B movie director at this point. I think most people know him from Demon Knight or Juice. Um and just the the storyline seem like something you could do, you know, on a lower budget, but still bring in the money and I think it made what it cost, but it was one of those where I think everybody was kind of disappointed, especially after, like, Damon and Adam both have their own flavors they add to their movies, and that was kind of their signature, and still is kind of the signature for Adam, and it's not really here. That's where it falls kind of flat, is because it doesn't really seem to be styled towards anything, it's just flat yeah i
1: i agree completely i think that they had great players in this but someone else was writing the script and so everyone was working outside of their like their their specialty so like yeah. everyone was working in a way that really highlighted their abilities as their character actors that they are and so you ended up with kind of this middling middle ground like some great moments but for the most part just like very generic pivot anybody in those
0: roles yeah and damon he he doesn't even get anything fun to work with no good dialogue and it's just if anything works it's his camaraderie with adam but then adam has these moments where clearly he was improving or he had some notes that he wanted to do. I The one thing that kills me in this is whenever he's singing in the shower and his face is all, <laughs> that to me was funny. But in general, yeah, I just thought it was kind of like a nothing movie. It's it's fine if you want to play in the background. It burns by pretty fast. I can't imagine what the fucking sequel is. There's a direct-to-video sequel and I don't even want to go near that. Oh my goodness, I, I didn't know about that. Yeah.
1: I'm curious but also worried.
0: Well, here's the thing is it I- came out like three years ago three or four years ago. That's oh. a long gap. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I don't get it. You but. know, I, I, like, what really hurts me the most is that this
1: film, I feel like, has the, the aspect of, like, a good tango and cash-like film. They just, I said the wrong characters to play the wrong characters. Like, you know, the the character that Damon played is a very, like, you know, just straight-laced Sylvester Stallone character, not, there to be funny but a couple of good quips you know and they're just like Damon just didn't really fit that character but kind of just was shoehorned
0: into it exactly maybe they had a development deal with him and they're like we want to burn this out you know and i you can tell that he didn't want to do any more movies that he was tired by this point because he doesn't do any movies uh, for like i think not until like 2003 when he does marcy x And, you know, he's just, and he doesn't really act that much anyway. He did that Lethal Weapon show for a few years. He had his own sitcom for a few years. It just seems like he does what he wants to build up some cash, whatever, and then goes back to retiring and being with his family. And more power to him. Yeah, I
1: mean, honestly, you know, like, he had a good run. I mean, it came down to just unfortunate back-to-back films, but like, you know, and that's kind of why I'm realizes, like, hey, I need to take control of my own movies because I am not being utilized
0: correctly. Yeah, I really thought his career was over with after this because remember there was a mm-hmm. long gap between this and Wedding Singer, and it's not like he had SNL to keep him busy. So I was just like, what is going on here? And then just absolutely a, mu- a movie that is geared towards his talents. To I mean, it's still I think his best movie, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and something like that's that's roaring back, really taking control of your career. <clears throat> Yeah, the one other thing I wanted to say is I thought it was funny is when this movie was about to come out, they had a big article in the front of our entertainment section in the newspaper about James Caan is back. He's the bad guy in Eraser, and he's the bad guy in Bulletproof. Barely in this movie. I think he did maybe two days of shooting. <laughs> I love that he has that weirdo moment where he rips his wig off, which most actors would be so insecure to do that. And I was like, all right, respect. Yeah. That's a. I, I totally forgot about that scene, but yeah, that's a, that was a pretty boss move and it's rare that you see somebody that's like, Yeah, that's like, it's a good bit, let's do it. Yeah. Um Yeah, nothing really else I can say about this. Of the two movies, obviously The Last Boy Scout is better, but it is kind of nihilistic. It's pretty dark except for the very end. And maybe that's the point, is that these extremely broken people find something to fight for. Um And I'll say this, the helicopter thing is pretty grotesque and amazing. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to dance and jig, dance and jig.
1: (laughs) It's rare that I disagree with you, but for me, I actually enjoyed, um, I enjoyed Adam Sandler and Damon Wayne
0: more than I enjoyed, uh, Damon Wayne with uh, Bruce Willis. Oh, no, the chemistry is better in Bulletproof. I just thought Last Boy Scout was a little bit more outrageous and crazy. Um, I th- Part of it is also the difference between Tony Scott and Ernest Dickerson is Tony Scott is an extremely stylish director who had the money and the the, the visuals, I guess, uh, capability to bring out something that was more dynamic. True. I guess if I were to
1: like rate it on which one has a better just full-bodied experience. So like for me, if I were to rate it for food... You know, like I I'd say that the last Boy Scout is like you know a fine dining and going over to you know bulletproof.
0: That's more of just like a nice piece of cheesecake. Like, yeah, it's yeah. Not for you,
1: we're not doing you any
0: favors, but you're enjoying it. Yeah, ain't nothing wrong with an Arby's turnover. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that is it for this episode. Our next one is going to be what did we say? It was going to be the clones, right? It was going to be uh, the sixth day and uh, the One and stuff like that or Ultimate universe. I can't remember what we were going to do.
1: I can't remember either, but I remember it was, it was either Six Day or The One, and it was either an
0: alternate universe or it was going to be like another clone fiasco. So yeah. um, one of those two, if not both those two, we'll see. Yeah, yeah. All righty, everybody. Have a good one. Thank you.